welcome. Hello, hello. It is a uh, Friday afternoon in my world. What what is it in your world? In um in Portland, Sarah, and in uh, Maryland, Christine. In Maryland, it's almost five o'clock. Oh, it's <laughs> almost know. drinking time. Nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, Jimmy and I were just talking about that. We're like, I'm going to be cracking a beer here in the next, you know, 40, 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, your, your can of Kirsch. Don't you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till it's over. <laughs> well, you hear a little. If you hear, yeah, if you hear a little, you know, sound, that, that might be what it is. That's what it is. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds kind of good. But then I'm like, oh, I still have to do school pickup. Probably not a good idea for me to be, you know, holding a micro brew in one hand and being like, hey, kids. <laughs> this is what I do when you're away. I chat and I drink. Um, so, so anyway, so we're excited to have Christine and Sarah and everybody here with a whole bunch of questions. We are heading rounding that corner into the racing weeks for the Train Like a Mother club um, for the the races that coach Christine um, has coached I should say the programs I guess they're all racing so we've got the 10kers the half marathoners and of course the mother load marathoners and we solicited questions from you earlier this week and we've got a nice little selection going forward some repeats that it's always good to hear once again that even if you've only run 20 miles you can in fact run 26 and then some other good ones mm -hmm. point two. Mm -hmm. Point two. Ah, forget that. You know, they're just going to stop at 26. Um, and some TMIers in there, of course, because we got to have that. So that's always fun. So that'll be towards the end. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so let's just start off. And um, I've kind of grouped them loosely, but of course, we'll probably go off on a couple tangents and we'll probably you know, have different advice and, and have a fun time along the way. But the first one I thought was good because there are people who, um, believe it or not, are just starting running. And I, and I love that. Um, this is coming from Carolyn, who's in the half program, half marathon. She said, I have never run any kind of race before, not even a 5K. So first of all, major kudos for mm -hmm. being like, hey, I'm just going to start with 13.1 miles, Carolyn. <laughs> I admire your courage. Mm -hmm. Um her half marathon is in early October, and I'm starting to get nervous. Some of my many questions. So let's just go through, I'm going to go through all these little questions because they are, mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of beginners out there. And sometimes even if you have run a couple races, maybe something is it's going to strike a chord with you. So our first one is, can I count on there being water stations or should I wear a little waste pack with my own bottles? Mm -hmm. I mean... I I am a big believer in carrying your own water because if you have a race plan, then you can just dictate it. You know, there isn't always a water stop where you want to be. You know, for me, I take in goos at, at miles four and eight. Well, some races and, and mile 11, you know, sometimes they only have it, I don't know, one, three, five, seven, nine, and 11, you know, and so then I've missed two of, two of my right. times, you know, and, um, you know, you can, you know, more experienced racers, I think can, um, juggle it a little bit, you know, maybe, um, doing one at three and then, you know, I don't know, six instead of four and eight or something like that. But I think it's important to have a plan and make sure you can stick with it. And if that means carrying your own water, then that's what you do. Yeah. I would um, suggest she look up on the website uh, a map and usually the maps have where the aid stations are, what they're serving at the aid stations. And if it jives with, with what she's been doing in her training runs, then it could be okay. But I'm, I'm in the same camp as you, uh, Sarah, I, I prefer to kind of carry my own so I can have it when I want it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I probably wouldn't, um, so I'll just go against the grain, which of these <laughs> things is not like the other. Um, I probably wouldn't carry my own water in a half marathon. Maybe a marathon or, you know, something longer, heaven forbid. But um, but I feel like a half marathon is just I'm I'm I can go on the fly enough that I don't need to carry my own. But if it's concerning to you at all, Carolyn, then carry it, you know, and if you're used to carrying it, it I mean that's the other thing is I mean, I carry my water on my training runs and sometimes it like my arm gets, my shoulder gets tired, right? Like I'm like, I don't want to carry that anymore. So I always feel like that's kind of like a race gift. I'm like, okay, but I won't have to do this on race day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, one thing, uh, two things jumped to mind. One would also be how long Carolyn is anticipating the race taking. Yes. So that, you know, if it's going to be two hours, well, you know, that's a long time, but it's not really long time. Whereas if she thinks it's going to take her three or more hours, then that might in my mind, tipper into the bring your own water mm-hmm. um, camp. But also that, um, Dim, to your point, um, if you don't want to carry something the whole way, sometimes what I'll do is start out with just a, um, you know, a plastic yep. water bottle of, you know, Poland Springs or Evian or whatever that I, you know, you can pick up at 7-Eleven, put a noon tablet in there, carry that with me, drink that at four, and then maybe kind of sip it until mile seven. And then, toss it oh god forbid toss it to the side of the road or but i did what i do though is that i do that at an aid station and i sort of yell out a sorry and so that i hope that it ends up okay (laughs) it makes it all okay i hope that that it ends up in you know a recycling bin somewhere if you know if in a best case scenario worst case scenario in a garbage pail somewhere yeah yeah i do the same thing if if i know that i'm not going to need water the whole time or i don't want to carry the whole time i'll carry a disposable as well and, and just throw it away. I've even carried an actual water, you know, handheld type of water bottle that I didn't really necessarily need anymore and Ooh. just kind of placed it somewhere. That, this was during a marathon though. So, and then when I got tired of holding it, I just put it, put it down on one of the aid stations. There you <laughs> yeah. go. And, ho- and hopefully, you know, someone either turned it into Goodwill or now they're making good use of it yeah. after <laughs> sterilizing it a few times. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So she's at her water station that she's looked up on her map. And um, she says, if there are water stations, is it better to walk through the water stations, giving my legs a break or try to maintain a consistent pace? Well, I mean, walk, I guess my first walk. thing would be what it, well, I would say, what has she been doing in her training runs? I mean, has she been able to, I mean, especially if she had, if she ends up carrying a squeezy bottle, that's pretty easy to run and, you know, squeeze in. Um, as a beginner doing it the first time, she might, you know, again, want to use that time to kind of, you know, shake out her legs. Like she said, give them a break. But if she's been running all her long runs and not taking walk breaks and drinking successfully, I don't see why she would have to change that in the race. Mm. There you go. One thing that um, I've heard actually from um, another coach in our in our little umbrella organization, Coach MK, she was talking about the water stations. Her strategy is so, um, especially in bigger races, they have them on both sides, right? So it's on the left-hand okay. side. There's be a table on the left-hand side. There'll be a table on the right-hand side. And mm-hmm. what most people are inclined to do is stop at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Because that's, you know, you're like, oh, water, sweet. And you don't think. <laughs> so instead, run as far as you can to the end when you get your water and then stop, drink, because drinking on the run, I find even though they have little videos that show you how to make a lip with the cup or whatever, if you're drinking out of a cup and not a squeeze water bottle, it's not, it's going to end up, you know, 90% of it is not going to get down where it Mm -hmm. needs to go. So Mm -hmm. stop for two seconds, drink your water and then go. And um, she recommends even practicing it. I mean, you know, if you have kids and you want to like have them set up a, a mini lemonade stand, lemonade stand at, the, at the bottom of your driveway as you run by and try it. But 
I don't know, there's something to that, I think, because what happens is then you get through the fray, right? And so then you're not, you know, you're not feeling like overcrowded and trying to drink and walk and navigate through people all at the same time. And then you can kind of get your rhythm back right away. I've never yeah, I think done that's, that. I've yeah, never consciously done idea. that, but I kind of like it. Yeah, no, that's what that's what I did at Boston, and and it was funny when you were saying that there's a table on the left and a table on the right. I was going to say, oh, there's lots and lots of tables. You know, it's a whole row of tables. So yes. that, um, and I also I I like spreading the love among the different volunteers. So you <laughs> and and the burden, you know, so you feel those people at the first table, you know, they're just working like you know rats mm-hmm. in a in a maze, and <laughs> whereas the people at the end are kind of like twiddling their thumbs, and so you know let them show that they're appreciated and and needed. And so, you know, definitely at Boston, I always went to the, one of the last tables um, in hopes of, you know, it'd be, they would be less crowded. And um, and also one one total side note, be careful of the cups that get left on the ground. I mean, those water stations can get kind of slippery. Yes. yes. My very definitely. first marathon um, was Marine Corps Marathon back in 1998, I guess it was. And I fell. At a, at, just for mm. that reason, it was they kind of bottlenecked us in, and there were tables on each side. And like you said, the very beginning was very congested. People were throwing their cups down. It got slippery, and I kissed the pavement. Mm. <laughs> hello, hello, <laughs> love it. Uh, um, and one one final thing about pace, um, Bree, the coach that um, Dim used for Ironman, and that I used for um, my Boston Marathon, she told me to speed up as I approached a water station and then um, mm-hmm. to walk or slow down if I wanted, um, whichever I wanted in the water station itself. And she said that that not only would hopefully, um, you know, I was on a time goal when I was trying to qualify for Boston, I would hopefully, you know, bank some of the time by speeding up a little bit, but it also, you know, kind of changes things up um, kinesthetically. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Yeah. So that, you know, kind of, um, make the muscles work a little differently, which is important in a long race because, you know, it's the same plotting, plotting, plotting the whole way. So right. to kind of s- s- switch things up for just and, even a, you know, I don't know, 50 and, yards and or being, something. Well, and being careful when you do, if you do plan on stopping and walking that you don't have somebody running up behind you too, kind mm-hmm. of move off mm-hmm. to the side a little bit. So, you know, you're not yeah. s- stopping smack <laughs> in front of somebody else. Right. That's a great segue to her next question, which is, are there any etiquette rules about passing or more, more likely being passed that I should know? Um, And I will say one, I mean, I agree with you that it's great if you can kind of be aware of what's going on behind you, but I often feel like that's not my problem, right? Like when I used to be rollerblading in Central Park, I would be like, if you're behind me and I have to stop and I'm in the right place, like then you need to give me enough room. And I mean, the, the, so, so one, one rule about running, obviously, I mean, that, that sounds kind of more bitchy than I mean it to be, but if you are <laughs> going to be, you know, slowing up, head over to the side of the road, or if you need to stop and tie your shoe or stretch or whatever, if you feel like you're just in people's way, I really like the sides of the roads. I feel like mm-hmm. you have more space. It's kind of like being on the end, end row of a treadmill. It's like, okay, I can have one jerk next to me, but I won't be sandwiched by them, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so same with, you know, the races. I always kind of feel like if, I'm, if I've got the, the road or the crowd next to me on one side, then I only have to really manage the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Or I mm-hmm. only have to deal with people that might, you know, potentially trip me or whatever. Yeah, and I would say well, most of the time when you're running, especially if, if, if you're kind of in the middle or more to the right, you definitely want to, at least it seems like the unwritten rule to me is you kind of pull off to the right. Obviously, if you're in a huge crowd and you're on the left side, you're going to go left. But in general, yeah. and then you can let people pass you on the left. 
And, mm-hmm. uh, and then when people pass you, um, you know, like I said, try to stay to the right or if you're passing them, I usually give a heads up. I'll just be like, hey, I'm on your left, passing on your left, you know, something like that so that uh, they know I'm coming up behind them. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. I mean, that's especially important, I think, in the trail race. Yes. Um, or if, if you don't have the whole road to, you know, kind of, you know, zig and zag along. But yeah, I mean, basically, especially if you're running by yourself, Carolyn, meaning that you're not going to be running with like three friends. I mean, you know, people get really worked up about like people, you know, running four across or walking four across or whatever mm-hmm. like that. And that's a conversation for another time. But, you know, as long as you're just kind of polite and kind of minimize your jerks and your like your, your starts and your jerks that are what am I trying to say? Like, you your know, starts and stops. Yeah, starts and yeah. stops. Yeah. And, and if you do that, you're on the right side of the road, then you're fine. I mean, people, you know. Yeah, because it's also I mean, think about it. It's like with um, with driving. It's always the fault of the you know, if there's a collision uh, from, uh, you know, if you hit, if you hit somebody from behind, it's always your fault, no matter yes. what the car in front of you is exactly. doing. Right, right. But, yeah. you know, but, but in the beginning yeah. of like, if she's doing a really big half marathon where there's thousands of people, it's sometimes it's hard, you know, you'll have somebody stopping three people ahead of you and it's like, boom, 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 you know, everybody mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Yeah. Rear ends each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, though, the one time you should definitely look back, which I've learned um, the hard way more than spitting. once, is <laughs> spitting. Spitting. Sarah, you're a spitter, and I'm a snotter. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, I like I can air blow like nobody's business, and you know, especially she when can, I'm trying. She can. It's, I'm it's really a good trip. at it. <laughs> I really am envious of her skill. <laughs> and uh, when I am running hard, like. I somehow like my mucus, my nosy, my snot production, whatever you call it, you know, goes way through the roof. And so I am like every minute or so I'm air snotting. And so usually that's towards the end of a race where you have a little bit more space. But I, you know, I, I really try not to do that on anybody around me. (laughs) So if you have any bodily um, (laughs) fluids that you need to excrete in any way, Carolyn, kind of make sure you have a wide berth, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Sarah, you want to read the next one? Sure. Yeah. And this comes from uh, Jennifer, who is also in the half marathon plan um, or club. Um, she wants to know how to keep herself motivated. She said, I get this far into training and then I slack and one day off turns into two, then a week and so on. My BRFs are all three minutes or more faster than I am. So we start out together, but after a mile, I have to fall back and watch them go chatting along while I run along behind like a little sister saying, Hey, you guys, can I come on? (laughs) Can I come please? Um, She says, I really want to do well in my race. I don't have to PR, but not being dead at the end would be nice. Yeah. There's a lot in there. I know. I was going to say like each sentence is kind of a different, different topic and different conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think she kind of almost answers herself in that first line saying, you know, how, you know, how to keep herself motivated. She already knows that part of the problem is if she takes off one day or, and then two days and then three, and it kind of, you know, uh, snowballs into this, you know, never ending taking off. So I think (laughs) trying to stay consistent and, um, you know, even on the days where she doesn't feel like it, you know, do the 20 minute rule where if you get out there and after 20 minutes, she's still completely hating the run, then, then come on in. But usually after 20 minutes, we're feeling pretty, pretty good and warmed up and happy that we're out there. Um, so I would say staying consistent for her first question there, um, as far as staying motivated. 
and then it but it sounds like that kind of morphs into her best friends best running friends being faster and that can be frustrating because I've been there myself where you yeah. start to run together and after two minutes, <laughs> they're Goodbye. all ahead of you and you're like, bye. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, some they could maybe brainstorm and obviously not every run will will work out this way, but maybe have track days um, or run a loopy type of run. So at least maybe they can kind of be together, but, you know, see each other, <laughs> loop yeah. each other um, or or. Um, do her faster run days where she knows she's going to be doing pace work or speed work on days where they might be running a little bit slower to kind of, you know, bring their pace down and her pace up and maybe meet somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and it never hurts her, her faster friends can always do one day a week where they go super duper easy and just stay with her. Um, Mm -hmm. so that might be worth asking as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know how demoralizing that can feel. I mean, I think we all do. We've mm-hmm. maybe all been there. And I, I mean, my when I read that, I was like, okay, don't run with them anymore. And I realized that that, you know, that sounds harsher than I mean it to. But, you know, I mean, I remember running with people and then not like, oh, you just you guys just go on ahead. And yeah, you see them like, you know, morph off into this distance, a little dot. And you just feel like, why can't I do what they do? Why can't, you know, why, why did they just leave me behind? I mean, it becomes this emotional thing instead of just like a, just a logistical thing. And so my, you know, my gut says I would try to run, you know, by myself a couple days a week just to get your own groove. You know, you say you want to do well on this, Jessica. So I think, um, you know, you don't want to be dead at the end. So find a pace that feels good for you and really work on that, you know, work Mm -hmm. on being the best runner you can be right now. I'm not saying don't ever run with them, but I'm saying like, I don't know if it, if it makes you feel like crap, maybe that's worth, you know, looking into a little bit and evaluating and deciding or checking out what other groups might be around. Some new friends that are closer to your true pace. I mean, that doesn't mean that she can't hang out with those BRFs, you know, meet them at, at a coffee shop or, you know, at the smoothie place afterwards or whatever, or go to bar class together, but maybe for training. I mean, cause that would be, um, you know, cause she says they're all three minutes or more faster. I mean, that is, that's, that's a, a big time difference. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is, that is you're together for a block and then bye-bye. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. So, totally. and in terms of, um, keeping motivated, I was recently, I reminded myself of, um, that sometimes if you get, um, something that you only listen to on the run. And for me, it was an audio book. I talk about this in the um, podcast, in the AMR podcast, it's going to be on next week about, um, I was listening to how to build a girl. It's a novel by Catelyn Moran and it's for my book group. And I got an audio book. I don't know if that's cheating for book group, but, (laughs) um, and so Molly has, my best running friend has been, um, I was away and now she's away and it was just, I only listened to it on the run and it was just so much fun. And it was, I would get so excited when I think, Ooh, I get to listen to the book. I'm, I'm going out. I'm going out. I'm going out. So I'm getting something that you're kind of jazzed for. Maybe it could be that it could be a podcast. You only listen to, it could be a playlist, you know? Um, and that, that if you think, well, if I don't, um, you know, go out that I don't get to listen to the next chapter of the book. Sure. Sure. And then the other things that I think are just, I mean, I know we say this a lot, but I think it bears repeating, Jessica, is, um, 
you know, if you're an early morning runner laying your stuff out the night before so that you don't have the plant, you know, the excuse of, oh, my GPS isn't charged or I don't know where my shoes are. I don't can't remember where I took them off or whatever it is. I mean, all you need is like one tiny little speed bump when you're lying there in bed and you're like, oh, okay, I'm off the hook. I don't know. Leave it. Let it go. Um, and then also, I mean, we put this in, um, in, I think something, I can't remember one of the training plans <laughs> somewhere it says, I mean, but, but planning out your schedule in advance, taking, you know, whatever day your week starts on, you know, some people it starts on Monday, some people it starts on Sunday or Saturday, depending upon, you know, when you work and what your family schedule is like, but planning out seven days in advance saying, okay, Tuesday, you know what? I have to drive carpool and Wednesday I have to go to the grocery store and this has to happen. This has to happen. So when can I fit in my runs and writing them down on a calendar, not just thinking, oh, I'll get it done after the grocery store or, oh, you know, that day is pretty free. So I'll just find a time to do it. But saying, okay, it's 7.15 on Friday morning, I'm going to be running. And I know it's like, again, it sounds a little bit more harsh than I mean it to, but it's just more like, okay, this is my plan. You know, if you had a doctor's appointment at 7.15, you'd be there. You have a running appointment right. at 7.15, you're going to be there. You know, like that's part of motivation is just being committed to making, sticking to the plan that you've made for yourself. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yep. okay. Um, so now we're going to go into um, a question from Kim, who's in the marathon, how she's bored. <laughs> she's bored. <laughs> she's been running so many miles. She's done the marathon program a couple times, and she's wanting tips for beating boredom while running besides kick-ass music and podcasts. Well, Sarah, you just gave one, your book that you were listening to, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So I thought, audiobook, audiobook. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, get get a long audiobook. I mean, start listening to Anna Karenina. That'll carry you through a whole bunch of miles. <laughs> bored out of your mind, but that's all right. Um <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. You're a lot like Stephen King or something, you know, to keep you running fast. Oh, that um, might get you scared as the <laughs> mornings are darker now. Yeah, really. Exactly. And maybe um, nothing. What about... Sorry. And also, sometimes nothing in your ears. Like, I know um, sometimes it helps not to be distracted. Like, I have to say, I've been running some without headphones, not all the time, but it there's something about it that's just a little bit... It's just different and a little bit nicer, and the time doesn't drag like you would expect it to. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. And, and what, a lot of times what I'll do, if I'm starting to get bored with the same route or, or the same area, maybe going and finding a new place to run, um, you know, mapping mm -hmm. out a, a, a new area or a new trail or a new, um, mm -hmm. town to kind of explore or something like that sometimes can make it a little bit more interesting running to different landmarks. Um, mm -hmm. and if she runs on her own, you know, finding someone to run with and, even if, it, you know, if she's going on a 20 miler and she can't obviously can't find a friend to run for 20 miles with her, you know, someone for the, like the last five or the middle five, something to kind of break it up mm -hmm. um, or have a kid bike alongside, you know, one of her kids or, you know, have a husband join. Um, mm -hmm. I think that anytime you kind of break up the run and have different things to look forward to at different points, I think kind of can help you focus on things and make it a little less boring. Right. Right. I mean, if well, being bored is your biggest deal on your 20-mile runs, like, you're winning, right? I like, guess. If you're not injured and you can run 20 miles and, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I love you, Kim, but, you know, like, 
that's, you know, that's, that's awesome. If that's your biggest problem, then yeah. you're totally winning. Yeah. And I love breaking up. I mean, whenever, cause it does seem daunting and it can feel like, oh my gosh, 20 miles. Think of it as five, 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 you know, and for the first five, you run easy. The next five, maybe change your pace a little bit, you know, if depending on what the training plan says as well, but you know, do a little bit different pace and the next five, you know, maybe alter it again a little bit or do some more of a hilly route. And, you know, dividing it up and kind of focusing something for a shorter amount of time might help, too. Kim Kim doesn't have a leg to stand on. She lives in Switzerland. We'd all, give, we'd all give our eye teeth to run in Switzerland, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, Kim, is I know you're, I'm 99% sure you're training for the Berlin Marathon again. And I know you've run that a couple times. And so maybe that might be something to also investigate as maybe doing a different race. Cause sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when you're going back to the same course, that can be for me, I know is a little, ugh, I'd rather do something new. So, mm-hmm. so, so, well then, we, then we move on to Jody, um, who, who's also running in a foreign country. Jody's up North of the border in Canada. Um, and she is training for her first marathon and, um, Dim, you had alluded to her question earlier on. She says, how do you prepare for the last 6.2 miles when you've, quote, only trained to 20? Jody's done 20 twice. She said, and obviously it's a tough distance um, and that she's not finishing full of rainbows and unicorns. So she doesn't (laughs) feel like another 10K would be easy peasy. She said, talk me through how this works and what I need to know slash do at this point of the race. It's my first full and with my longest runs now behind me, I'm freaking out about how to put it all together on race day. Well, I know, I know that Jody can just, just daydream about that badass at wine glass, uh, t-shirt and sweatshirt and trucker hat that we're doing for the race. And that'll get you through anything. Is is that what it's going to say? Badass at wine glass? Oh, I love that. I was wondering, he always hashtags that. I'm like, that's such a clever phrase. And Jody was the one who suggested it. Um, Oh, very good. It's really good. And so um, this is just a side note. Yesterday when uh, we were packing swag for many of the challengers, um, I had the two gals who helped uh, pack swag, Cindy and Aaron. I'm like, come on, come on. You got to model the Badass at Wine Glass merch. And they just were like, oh, my gosh, it's so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, um, awesome. Yeah, so it looks really good. And, um, yeah, so it has the um, it has a um, wine glass on it that has the badass um, tattoo from our badass mother runner T-shirt. So it says uh-huh. um, looks like a wine glass with a mother tattoo oh, etched fun. in it. Oh, yeah, cool. it's really, really cool. That. So and then we did a um, customized Boko gear trucker hat. So anyway, so... Um, those things will get you through the exactly. last 6.2 miles. <laughs> you're going to look cute no matter what. And like have some unique fashion. But I mean, the good news is that you don't have to put it all together on race day, Jody, because that's what the training plan does for you, right? So right. we've had you run 20 twice, which is awesome. And you've totally nailed those. And that 6.2 is going to come with a, the taper that you're close to being in if you're not in it now. And that taper, we have it almost three weeks, right, Christine, on that marathon plan? So that is a nice long time where you are putting in all your ingredients, your cake batter is made, and now you're putting it in the oven to bake, and your muscles are going to come out stronger. And so you, you, you know, include that with your, um, the adrenaline of race day, some fresh legs, um, and you're just going to rock it. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to rationally wrap your head around, but you know, and, it, 
happens all the time, right? On a daily basis, right, Christine? Well, and yeah, that's what I was going to say is that most training plans, the majority of training plans have you going to 20, maybe 21, 22 at the absolute most, simply because at that point, recovering um, just takes entirely too long. We can recover from 20 uh, a lot bad, better and quicker than we could if we were sort of doing 25 or 26, 27 miles. Um, you're just, you can't, it's not a feasible thing to do in training. Um, but running, you know, I know she's stressing about that last 10K, but when you're running that 20, you are running a couple of days ahead of time a decent amount of mileage and the, maybe the day before, day after, the, or the, you know, a couple of days after. So you've got to kind of look at it the whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. she's definitely, and, and like I said, everyone, a lot of people have done the training program and a lot of people have had a lot of success and, you know, are able to get through that last 6.2 miles. Um, plus she's going to have a little bit extra adrenaline, excitement, um, motivation. Uh, you know, there's going to be crowds of people. There's going to be other runners. A lot of that also kind of kicks in that last 10 K, um, adds to your boost of, of, of motivation to get through it. Um, but yeah, trust the training, I, you know, trust her training, have faith in what she's put in. And, uh, and I have absolutely zero doubt that, that she's not going to finish. I mean, she's going to nail it. And also this kind of leads into the next question, but the importance of uh, proper fueling during mm-hmm. the first 20 miles can really determine how you feel in that last 10 K. Yes. Well, yeah, fueling and pa- and pacing, right? So let's yes. Shawnee. Um, who's wondering, she said, I think she's also first timer. She said, I, I've had several marathon tell, ter- sorry, start again, Shawnee saying, um, I had several marathoners tell me that, quote unquote, bonking is inevitable. True or not true? Tell me more about bonking, which doesn't sound so great. And, yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, not, not, I would say not true. Not true at all. Not true. It's definitely not inevitable, not but, true. Yeah. but that means for for not to be inevitable means that you need to be a yes. very thoughtful, smart racer and listening to your body. Correct. Right? And, and you got to make sure the fuel, I mean, basically bonking uh, or also known as hitting the wall or the bear on your back and all those little terms. <laughs> it's basically your glycogen stores have become depleted. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody has about enough glycogen stores, um, you know, stored in their muscles for roughly 18 to 20, 21, 22 miles. Um, Hmm. So that's why most people bonk right around that time. If you haven't been fueling yourself properly during the, the, you know, during those 20 miles, it's impossible to completely replace your glycogen stores as you're running, but it is possible to keep the levels there so that the bonking doesn't happen and that you still are giving your muscles some fuel to, you know, keep going. Um, so that means, you know, having your fueling plan in place, you know, are you taking goos or gels, you know, uh, are you getting some electrolytes in your water, um, making sure you're staying hydrated and everybody, by the time they're hitting the tapering time, should have a pretty solid plan of how often they need to take in their goos and gels and um, so that they don't hit the 18, 20 mile mark and all of a sudden feel like they can't go on. Right. And the importance of, of, so you were saying how you have enough glycogen stored to get, you know, 18 to 22. That doesn't mean wait until right before then to be fueling, you know, and that, that what I discovered in my last cycle of marathon training was, um, and I misspoke when I, earlier when I said I'd taken gels at 4, 8, and 11. It's been so long since I raced long, I don't remember. Now I do it at 2, 4, 8, and 11 because a nutritionist that we had on 
the AMR podcast was saying that, you know, your body's much more receptive to that, that glycogen that you can ingest earlier on in a race mm-hmm. or a long run. And Basically, so that, yeah, you want to keep the level, you know, as close to F as possible. You know, if you're thinking yeah. of like a gas tank, you don't want to wait till, till 18 where you're almost down at E. You kind of want to keep bringing it little by little. And some people, uh, and, and me included, I like to kind of sip or goo in little spurts every few minutes. So again, that's where your long runs come into play and how you've worked out your fueling, um, you know, how you practice it. So you know, what's going to work best for you on race day. But I agree with you, Sarah, the, I think more often, even if it's not as much, um, Mm -hmm. I think is better. Mm Mm-hmm. I like your analogy of saying keeping it as that needle as close to F as possible. That's right. a good, good way of thinking of it. Yeah. Well, and so, and it's also, as long as we're on our, you know, our car's dashboard, you also need to think <laughs> about your speed, right? And, you know, and what happens and what has happened to me and what happens to most people in races is, you know, you feel like a rock star. That first hour, I mean, I remember, you know, the New York City Marathon was like almost two decades ago for me. And I still remember looking down at my watch and being like, oh my God, an hour has gone by already. This is like before GPSs and everything. So I have no idea how far I ran. But, you know, because of this taper that we talked about and because you've got fresh legs and you're just, you know, coursing with adrenaline and excitement, it is ridiculously easy to go out way too fast, way, 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 way too fast. And all of a sudden, (laughs) this is an endurance event. This is an endurance event. You're going to be out there for a long time. And you running an 830 mile for that second or third mile when you've never run that before (laughs) in training, right? (laughs) And then you're like, oh, it's okay. I'm going to make up. I'm going to do some, what we, you know, bad runner math and I'll be fine and I'll slow down. (laughs) But that's going to end up that, that fast mile at mile two, three, four, one, whatever it happens to be is going to hit you 10,000 times harder at mile 21. Now that's not scientifically proven, but the reality (laughs) is is it will. I mean, it will come back and bite you so hard. And if you can be, like I said, if you can be a thoughtful racer at the beginning and get speed as you, not even get speed, but just stay strong as everybody else wanes off, you're going to get so much strength from that. I mean, I I think back to Sarah, that time that we were going to run at the half marathon at Disney and I you jumped in with, I think, the 215 half marathon group, and I jumped in with a 230 group yeah. just to kind of have a, a moving party, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that time, you know, for those, for, for us at that time, those were um, pretty doable paces. And I stopped mm-hmm. at the bathroom at like mile six or something like that, and I lost my group and I caught up to them, and they weren't as chatty as I had anticipated them being. And I had such a ball for those last six, five miles because I had saved my legs, right? All of a sudden I was picking people off. I was, you know, chatting with people. I was just having a ball and everybody else, not everybody else, but a lot of people who had gone out too fast were walking, having a tough time, counting down the miles, wishing away the miles. And of course it's it's really hard to have your ideal race, but you're going to give yourself a so much of a better chance if you can hold back your horses in those first, that first hour of the marathon for sure. And I would say, gosh, at least the first 40 minutes of a half marathon, depending upon how fast you're running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, negative splits should are usually depending on the course, but 90% of the time negative splits should be your goal. And even if like, you know, cause I know a couple people are first time racers and they're not really sure what time they're going for that. Then think of the negative splits in effort. Um, the first third of your race is should feel pretty ridiculously easy. 
um, you should let people go. Let them go. Let them fly off. You'll probably see them again later. Like you said, Dimity, you know, you'll yeah, pass you will. them later. So, you know, it should feel easy. That first third should feel really like you're holding yourself back, like you're in third gear. Let's go back to the car. You know, you're running in third gear. Then the middle, that middle chunk, that middle third, your mate, you know, the, the, you might, your pace might not increase quite as much. It should a little bit, but the effort is going to start to kick in. You're going to start feeling the time on your legs and, uh, and on your lungs. And then that last bit, that's when you can start kicking it up to fourth and fifth gear and, uh, you know, and, and you'll be able to take advantage of the slower, more conservative start and finish nice and strong and like you said pass people and that's so it feels so good when you mm-hmm. are passing people i mean I, that sounds kind of harsh too but <laughs> no yeah you know? but strength. i mean as you when you see people you know you're gonna like high five them at the finish line but as you see people fading you're like i don't need to fade i feel really strong i mean that is i don't know there's something about that you know makes you just more and more confident so mm-hmm. so yes. give yourself that opportunity Yep. Yep. So that leads right into a question from Martha. She says, help me understand why I can easily run a quote fast pace during training, but on race day, I totally freak out and I'm sure I can't maintain that pace. So I wonder though, okay. Cause that question, so she's, she totally freaks out and I'm sure I can't maintain that pace. I wonder, um, if she actually four emojis after that help you? <laughs> She's got four little faces. Oh, no, I don't see that. that. Does that I help you explain? No, I can't see the emojis. They're coming up as Oh, little... no, it's uh, three gritted teeth, kind of the gritted smiling <laughs> teeth. And then the fourth one is just a straight line of like, hmm. <laughs> so, um, I didn't see the I, emotion there. Okay. <laughs> I To me, this, um, when I was looking at that question, at first I thought it was a pace question. But then I'm like, well, to me, this feels more like a, a mental, yeah, it's a mental strength a, a question. question. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, I think it's almost um, meditating, if you will, for in the week prior to the race and thinking back specifically on, on moments in your training. So specific runs or even specific miles in certain runs if you can have that much memory retention um of of when you did really well and when you're able to maintain that pace and kind of look at it and turn it around like you're it's a diamond you're examining or a you know, rough stone you're examining and that you can to think about what it is that you did and that helped you get to there mm-hmm. and that and to remember that strength that you felt and um, just really bolster yourself in the week leading up to the race and to build up that confidence. I think that's a great, I mean, t- turn it into a visualization exercise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. really, and really, really put yourself there. So remember, you know, if it was a you know, 10 mile with three miles at tempo around, you know, along the river or, you know, over when you drove over to Kim's house and went running from her house. I mean, very specific things so that you can remember, you know, that the blue Saucony shorts you were wearing or, you know, the way it was slightly misting, you know, really put yourself back in that and remember what it felt like to do that and that it was you doing that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some movie you were watching or book you were reading. It was, you know, Martha, that that's you putting out that effort to make those fast paces and training happen. And just because you're at a, a race doesn't mean that you aren't that same confident, strong, empowered person. 
you're just now doing it with way more people around you. She's got an audience now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so draw on that and, and, you know, I mean, oh gosh, I just remember when I went up for, you know, my last race was at 10 K I did in July and went up there by myself and I was so, oh my gosh, so when I parked, I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to get out of the car and like be with these people and try to do this. And I'm like, nope, Sarah, you know, you, this is it. This is, this is game day. And this is what you've been heading for. And I just got in my own mind and I probably appeared super antisocial, but you know, that's, and I just did the drills that I knew I needed to do, did a little warm up, and just, I had my game face on because I knew what I'd done in training and I was there to get the business done. So there to sign, seal, and deliver. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was one thing I think that when you had the sports psychologist Justin Ross on that um, resonated with me, and that, that was, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you're skiing or mountain biking. You know, if you downhill skiing or, you know, downhill mountain biking, if you look at the trees, guess where you're going to go? Mm-hmm. The trees. Yeah. Right? Like all of a sudden. So if you look at, if say you want to run 930s and you are, you know, and you're scared of that. You know, if you think, okay, I'm just going to think like, I'm just going to think about, I can only run 10s. I can only run 10s. I can only run 10s. That's what you're going to run. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just, I mean, it's that simple and it sounds so, sounds almost overly simple, but you know, the, the worst that you're going to do, Martha, by running your race pace that you want to run is, you know, is bonk and not quite and have to walk, right? That's the worst thing that's going to happen. But you know what's going to happen on the other side of that if you do that? If you, okay, first of all, if you succeed, then yay, then we've done it. Woo, you know, we've done it. <laughs> Second of all, if you did it and say you got to mile 21 or 22 and you're like, okay, now I got to slow down a little bit. My God, you gave it everything. And now next time you head out for this, I also know that this isn't your first marathon with us either, Martha. So then you're like, okay, now I know what I need to do to get four more strong miles. I mean, that's the thing is that it's not, you know, you kind of have to realize that it's a work in progress a little bit, right? And so I'm not saying don't go have the best race of your life that you can where you are right now, but put yourself out there, you know, don't aim for the trees, aim for your split that you want. Yeah. And see what happens. You're going to surprise yourself, I think. Yeah, I, I remember a coach telling me once that if if the goal scares you a little, then you're in the right you're in the right place. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. So know that, that you know. Yeah, so knowing that a little bit of a little bit of freak out is okay. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you don't want you don't want it to be too too over the top. But yeah, a little bit is okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so this is another pacing question. This is coming from Melinda, who was also not her first time to the 26.2 rodeo. Mm-hmm. She says, um, my first marathon was two years ago at age 41. I've done a spring and a fall marathon ever since, with my fifth coming up in a month. This year I have gotten slower. It takes me at least five miles to warm up to my previous previous average pace. I would love to someday get a PR that beats my current one from the first marathon which was 423. So her PR is 423 and her other races have been from 432 to 434. And she's wondering, are PRs behind me? I love running. I'd still run without the PR carrot, especially if it means running healthy and uninjured into my old age, but I don't want to set my sights too high or give up too easily. How can I get a PR while getting older and not getting injured? I, I have numerous things to say on this topic. Okay, let's hear yeah, it. Go ahead. <laughs> seeing, <I do. laughs> seeing that that was what my essay was about in Tales from Another Mother Runner. Um, first of all, I want to point out, um, Melinda, you are a mere 43, so you're a child. Um, so, uh, no, but um, definitely I can say with absolute assurity a 
if you want a PR, you can definitely go for a PR. And that I definitely, I so completely, utterly, with every fiber in my being, thought my my PRs were behind me. And by getting a coach and changing my training slightly and adding more drills and strength training and hip exercises, I just would have been, you know, I, I nailed times that I just thought were were way out of my grasp. And, and sometimes I think, oh my God, did I really do that? And, and that, but it's just that I had to target my training. And uh, there have been years, definite years where I would do two marathons a year, like, like you've been doing, Melinda. But I got to say, and um, Christine, you might have um, something to add to this topic, uh, that I'm thinking maybe you're doing too many marathons. That if you really want to set a PR, then choose one race in 2017 and put all your energy toward that marathon. And, you know, you can do tune-up races and all that stuff, but but if you want to have if you want to set a marathon PR, then choose one marathon and maybe make it in fall of 2017 so you have time to recover from these um, you know, two marathons a year thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And I also agree with, with what you said just a few minutes ago saying to, she's got to switch things up because it sounds like she's been very consistent two marathons mm-hmm. a year. I mean, even her times are, you know, very consistent mm-hmm. um, marathon to marathon. So my first thought was we gotta, we gotta, you know, ruffle the feathers here. Let's, let's mm-hmm. do something different. Um, what she's been doing has gotten her this result. So now we got to do something different. And I also agree with if she's, if she really wants to set her sights on one race to really PR in, I think focusing on that one race for that year and making it a one marathon year um, is also a good, good idea. She can focus on something shorter earlier in the year, a 10 K or a half marathon prior to focusing on marathon training. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and, and, maybe looking at, uh, varying the plan a little bit, um, or like you said, adding some strength training or starting to do some drills, or if she's never done, um, you know, core work or, uh, upper body strength or adding more speed work, or, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different things she can do to kind of mix it up that might be able to take her off the plateau, um, and closer to, to a new PR. Mm-hmm. And also um, that, you know, I joked about her, her age, but I definitely remember, you know, when I was doing two marathons a year, that was about the age I was. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. No problem. You know, and then boom, plantar fasciitis, yeah. you know, and that that um, I just think, you know, when you enter your 30s and, and creep up 40s, sorry, and, and start to creep <laughs> up in, in them, that you do have to think about the long term picture. And that, you know, that obviously she admits that her goal is running healthy and uninjured into her old age. And that, um, you know, adding in some some variety and some strength and maybe not doing, you know, 26.2 times 2 every year is going to be the way to ensure that you can run well into other decades. Right. Yeah, I think... And I mean... And I, and, and, go ahead, go Christine. Ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to, to come in with just a little bit of a different perspective. And I've told this um, story to, um, I think, the heart rate trainers. But I have a friend here who um, is, uh, her her kids swim with my kids, but not on the same team. So I just see her at the swim meets. We compete against each other. Um, her name is Rebecca. 
She's also a bammer. And um, she had a summer where both she and her husband were on sabbatical. So they have a nice little break and they spent it on Cape Cod, even better, right? And um, so they were out there for like two months um, or maybe even a little bit longer. And she was like, Dimity, I did not run at all. And she was in the Portland Marathon that fall, okay? Mm. Um, okay, so she didn't run at all, but they rented bikes and they rode their bikes everywhere, right? Like to the grocery store, to the beach, like 20, 30 miles a day, right? It's not just like going to the ice cream store and back, right? <laughs> they were definitely using their bikes as their transportation. So low impact, not hard in her joints, a different exercise than running. Okay, so then she comes back to Denver. She does, she says, a few long runs and goes to Portland. And it's been, she's a lot like, not a lot like Sarah, but, you know, her goal for a long time was to beat four hours. She ran a PR, not quite four. I think she ran 403. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying, like, that that's, like, the the formula for it, but... I think sometimes when you want something so bad, you just keep going, oh, I'm going to dig, I'm going to dig, I'm going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep pushing, I'm going to keep pushing, when in fact, you have to kind of let your hand off the lever a little bit, let your body rest for a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it can give you something it's never given you before. And I just, I mean, I just was like, oh my gosh, oh my God. Like I was, I couldn't believe that story because that's totally, in my mind, counterintuitive to anything that would work, right? Yeah, but, but that I mean, but it, but it makes sense, and you know, every elite athlete in in a year's time period will take like a full month, um, often of doing something completely different. Um, yeah. I know a lot of like Canadian runners will snow, you know, uh, cross country ski the month of January or whatever, and they'll yeah. do something different, um, and but they don't lose. You don't lose your fitness. Yeah. I mean, so then Rebecca, I think, is a lot like Melinda in that you guys are good, strong runners. It's not like, you know, taking a little time off is, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be back to doing a program like Couch to 5K. So I don't know. I just, I was really, um, I don't know. That was just an interesting story to me because I know I also, you know, having been on those Facebook pages a lot, and Melinda, I know you, you do a lot. Like you do a lot of hiking, you do a lot of outdoor adventure, and, um, and I love your ambition, but I also think, um, you know, maybe coming at it from a different angle might also be helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this next question comes from Danette, and I hope that um, she'll be listening to it in, in time to have an answer come out of it. But uh, if not, hopefully it can help somebody else. She said, this is race week, race Saturday for her, and she can't breathe out of her nose. She says she has the worst sinus pressure and her throat is killing her. The weather is also not looking good. She says, I don't mind rain, but there are thunderstorms in the forecast. If I don't reach my A goal, there's another race on October 16 that I would like to do. My question is, where do I jump back into the training plan? Do I give it a break after my race? And I have to say the question that sprung to my mind when I first read this was, well, should she just skip her race this mm-hmm. Saturday? That's what and, I thought, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay, so I'm not the only one who's like, yeah. But she's not going to. Okay, so we just said this is Friday afternoon. She's not going to read this on Saturday. I mean, I'll go in and type to her so that she has an out if she wants it. Yeah. I mean, not that mm-hmm. she needs permission for me to have an out, but, you know. But, 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 <laughs> get a note from get a note from Dimity. <laughs> but having the suggestion that she, you know, especially if she's feeling so crappy and it's thunderstorms, but. You know, so when I read this, I was like, okay, this is what I would do. I would show up on Saturday morning, and if I'm feeling a lot better and the weather's going to cooperate, I would go for it. Um, If it doesn't, I would take it as either a pass totally and go home and get some more rest or just run it as a training race and, and truly a training race. Like go and enjoy it, chat with people, you know, just not worry about the time on the clock. 
um, and then really go for it on October 16th because hopefully by then she's feeling better and the weather will probably be more optimal for running. Yes, I agree 100 because my first thought was, well, why why run it Saturday if you're feeling that miserable and the weather's going to be awful? Um, you know, mo- you're not setting yourself up to reach your A goal. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so I would agree exactly with what you said, Dimity. Either take it as a training run or if she's feeling really sick, take it as a rest day. Um, and then she can jump back. She can count the weeks back and then kind of jump in where she was with the training plan. If she feels like she can add a little bit more to the training plan at that point. So she's going to be kind of repeating some weeks. She can mix it up a little bit, you know, maybe add an interval here or there, add a mile to the long run. And she might in fact be even better prepared, um, on August, I mean, on uh, October 16th to, to Mm -hmm. go for her a goal. Mm -hmm. I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And, and as far as recovery time after your half marathon, if you do end up running this um, tomorrow, I mean, what would you recommend? I mean, if she just runs it as a training race. Um, well, if she runs it as a training race, you know, I mean, and, and actually, you know, kind of runs hard, you mean? Um, yeah. Then she's probably going to have to have a little bit of recovery afterwards. And I would say a week of kind of a reverse taper, maybe taking the taper week prior and repeating that the week after the race and then counting back the weeks and starting back with the training plan at that point, if she's feeling better. Um, this is all assuming that she gets over whatever she's got going on and recovers, you know, doesn't have any major problems in the race, um, and recovers pretty well that week after. If she's still feeling yucky and sick and all that, then she should probably just try to maintain her fitness until she's feeling better. Um, and then she can bump up and follow the training plan once she's feeling healthier again. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. This is from Meredith, who's in the 10 K program. She says, um, my question, if I want to target a big fall race every year, how do I train when I'm not in a specific training plan? For example, I'm doing the 10K program this fall, and I want to do a half marathon plan next fall. What should I do in the meantime? Um, Take time off, pick a different program, pick a weekly mileage goal, and just stick with that until training for, until a race starts again? What what, what do you do when you, you know, you got to give yourself, you got, your your training's got to ebb and flow, but, you know, it also helps to kind of be somewhat on a schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's definitely things that she can do from one to the other. Um, <clears throat> but you know, there's usually, I mean, we have some floater plans I know that, that we've come up with, um, from like halves to halves and things like that. Um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll take a training plan and sort of modify it, um, so that it kind of, so for example, if she's got a 10K program that she's going to do the half, she can kind of start mimicking what the half marathon plan has coming up, but kind of decrease it a little bit in volume and intensity. Um, so she's kind of preparing herself. The other thing she can do is just simply relax during that time, have an unstructured period. Um, some people like to have that structure. Some people kind of enjoy having kind of a few weeks where there's not a whole lot of, I have to do this on this day. Um, you can wake up that morning, see how you're feeling. And if you're feeling good, go out and do some fart licks. If you're feeling more in like an easy day, you can do that. Um, there's lots of, there's lots of things that there's lots of options, but the key is just maintaining a consistent routine of something so that she maintains her fitness 
And then as the next, as you know, in the weeks leading up to the plan starting, she kind of makes, you know, makes sure that she's got the prerequisites for it so she can jump into it and feel good and ready. It's if also the time. Yeah, it's also, it's also the time if you're have been thinking about trying some other things to try those, you know, to try like, I mean, we, just, we got a flyer in the mail yesterday about adult dance classes and some, and before I recycled it, I was like, hmm, maybe I should start taking a dance class. Um, like, and I'm like, like well, who am I? Who am I? Like a hip hop class. <laughs> <laughs> it's my long-term dream to be able to hip hop dance. I'm going to admit that now. <laughs> you can totally take it, Sarah. I love that. I was at a dinner, a, a barbecue at a, a school friend's house the other night. And, um, the mom was like, she just took an improv class. She has like an executive coach or something at her office. And she was like, what is something that will totally put you out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. right now? And Rachel was like, an improv class. So she's taking it. And then we went around the table and said, what would you do, right? Like, what's one thing that you would never do, which means you got to do it, right? Like, I totally think you should take a hip hop class. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, but, and so if it, you know, if hip hop's not your thing, um, you know, <laughs> it could be that now, you know, is the time to take a bar class or spinning or learn how to swim and start doing laps, you know, or, or start hiking or something like that. So there's that. But also one thing that um, I've found works well for Molly and me, my running partner, is that uh, that when, like right now, I'm not training for any race. I have no idea what my next race will be. And, but Molly's training for a half marathon in early November. So when she and I run together, I do whatever workout her training plan calls for. Mm. So there you go. that's nice. That's a good idea. Yeah. And, and we have, you know, um, it's worked out well that, you know, so when I was training for Boston, she did a lot of the training with me. And when she's done a marathon and I didn't have one, I did a lot of the training with her. So, um, although sometimes, haha, I'd get to stop at 10 and she'd have to keep going for another eight <laughs> miles. <laughs> that's when you love life. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I think there's a couple different workarounds. And then I have to throw in, you know, a, a plug for like Christine mentioned, we do have some other programs in the Train Like a Mother Club that are not race-based. Like right. we're just about to start Stride into the school year. We've got Stride into the summer. Um, heart Rate 101 is a nice way to try heart rate training if that's interesting to you. And that's an eight-week plan with no finish line at the end. You know, if you don't want to race at the end, you don't have to. Um, so, you know, we definitely have some plans that are kind of fun and unique that will keep you moving without you know, without stressing you out too much. Yeah, those would be mm-hmm. perfect. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so this is where we move into the TMI part of the questions, right, Tim? Yes, yes. We're <laughs> heading into TMI. So um, just so you know, I, I didn't format this very well. So Jen's um, comment underneath Leslie's, Sarah, is is a response That's the to question. Leslie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I realized that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, okay, so Leslie... Right. Yep. Leslie admits that she's been having GI distress during her long runs. She has colitis, so not sure if it's that or what. She says, um, I eat a couple hours before carb, protein, and banana. Am I eating too early? Should I be bringing more on my run? I take my handheld with noon, and I hide water halfway through and drink that with with goo chews. So, um, Coach, what do you say about GI distress? Yeah, unfortunately, she's not alone. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, colitis, her, her having colitis could completely be 
part of the issue here. Um, a lot of people with general colitis and even people that don't have general colitis can have what's known as exertional colitis. And I actually have that myself. And that's where when you're out there on the runs, um, you get, uh, the wrong kind of an episode <laughs> <laughs> and you don't and you don't mean an episode of breaking bad or <laughs> no no <laughs> or strange a little, things a little messier um yeah so so if if that's um the case there are you know there are i guess it depends on on she's gonna have to play around with her nutrition because that can definitely be part of it um and making sure that whatever she's eating beforehand is not setting her up to have an inflamed episode. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to, what else to call it, but, no, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it, what I found is just playing around and, and keeping track of what she's eating and definitely switch things around. If the carb and protein and banana is not working, maybe eliminating the protein, make sure that the carb she's eating, it doesn't have a lot of fiber in it. Um, I know a lot of people that eat will eat like a granola bar or something like that and not realize that there's a high content of fiber in there. And people mm -hmm. with colitis eating fiber before a run usually doesn't work out really well and you have an episode <laughs> so, um, and, and the protein yeah. could be sitting there so I would recommend to Leslie to play around maybe keep some kind of little chart what foods when she ate them and whether or not she had any problems on the run um, and then just play around and then you know and I don't know if this is I should recommend this or not but I'll, I will do this on Imodium. race days is the Imodium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, That's what I, I kept, kept thinking. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would not use that on a run to run day to day basis because I don't think that that's a great idea, but in a race situation, taking an Imodium or two prior to your run, um, will help keep things intact. intact. <laughs> we'll, we'll prevent episodes. <laughs> you won't be able to get any cell <laughs> any Wi-Fi. You will not have any episodes. <laughs> so, and I'm sure well, you guys have something to add to that. Well, and Jen, Jen um, chimed in under Leslie's comment, and I think it's important. I think, obviously, the, yes, the pre-run meal is important, but I also thinking about what you eat, you know, 24 to 40 hours before you run also makes a difference. Um, and Jen writes, Leslie, I've had a lot of problems with GI distress. And one thing that has helped me is having a smaller meal at dinner the time, at dinner time the night before a long run or race. I have my bigger meal at lunch and then like half of what I would normally eat at dinner. I used to think that I really needed to carb load at the dinner, but I think that just left too much in my stomach the next day. Um, I think that's really smart. I think um, things like roasting your vegetables or having like Minnesota minestrone soup, uh, minestrone <laughs> soup, things like, you know, you need your vegetables, you need that in your life, but, you know, kind of bring, breaking them down a little bit before having, you know, not eating like raw carrots and raw peppers and things mm -hmm. that, you know, can definitely, you know, not, no kale Brussels sprout right. salad the night before a race, you know, things yeah. like that. <laughs> Yes. I mean, you just have to think about it. And, you know, anything that's got a high fiber content, a high protein content, um, like the vegetables, um, you know, they're going to have a high, a lot of them have high fiber. Anything that's going to make your body work harder to digest it um, 
is obviously going to sit there longer. And if you're eating a big meal the night before and you're eating, like you said, more raw vegetables and things like that, that it takes your body longer to digest, most likely, you know, seven, eight, eight nine hours later, they're still going to be sitting there. They're still hanging yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking it reminded me of something Mary Broussard, who I know is in one of the challenges because I just sent out her package yesterday. She told me um, back when I was trying to set my marathon PR, she said that she followed the no greens uh, rule before a big race. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And she said she stopped eating green vegetables. I think it was two days before a race. So that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit, little bit longer if you're more prone to having issues, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Two more TMI questions, Megan Clark. And this one, I have to say, I've never heard of before. So I had to, Oh, I shouldn't have said your last name, Megan, just Megan. Her last name is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> nope, nope, no Megan Clark here. Keep moving. <laughs> um, here we go. Embarrassing question that I've been aching to ask. Anyone else's bladder traumatized after long runs? It feels like a UTI, sometimes for a couple of days after. I'm hydrated and I have plenty of output. Is it my underwear or lack thereof? And then Melinda chimes in and says, I had this happen after my half in August. Like I felt like I needed to pee, but there was nothing there. A friend of mine called it the after sex pee. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and Megan says, yes, or the pee that comes out fine. And at the end, it's so painful. Does anyone here? Well, I have to say, I don't necessarily, this one isn't one I relate to. Well, and I, I would like to say as a, um, as a forever commando runner, I will not allow anyone to blame the, the um, lack of, thereof of underwear as the what's going on there so um yeah i don't think that there's a correlation because not like your underwear supports your bladder right like they, they, there's no correlation between <laughs> undergarments and your you know and your need to pee yeah um christine any idea i mean yeah. maybe or maybe it's just a fun i mean maybe it's like hey me too kind of thing <laughs> maybe people are raising their hand when they're running right now i don't know <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I have not personally experienced that, um, and I'm trying to think of what may have caused that. Um, You know, maybe she has a really sensitive bladder. (laughs) I don't know, you know. I mean, that that does exist, and, and, or if she's running with a full bladder, maybe it's causing some irritation. Uh, Oh, there she goes. She needs to follow my, you know, just pee while you're running thing yeah i mean that i mean that could be you know is she holding Mm -hmm. it longer than she should oh that's Um, that's that's some creative thinking on your part there yeah i'm trying i'm trying (laughs) (laughs) because i was just just thinking maybe it's just a um it maybe it is a slight uti from being you know kind of trapped in lycra for so long Yes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if she's not changing quickly enough, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, like she's, like she's got to pee, but nothing's there. And I mean, I've had that feeling before, but that's usually like if I'm, if I'm sick or something, you know, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that's something Mm -hmm. different. So I I don't, I mean, I I don't know, maybe she's just creating a little damage in her bladder or, or I know, you know, if you run long, sometimes you could have a little damage to your kidneys, but I don't know if that Mm -hmm. would, I think you're I think you're on to something Christine with your thinking that maybe she's holding it too long on a run or maybe it's I don't know maybe it's that um I was gonna say she says she has plenty of output afterward because I was gonna say it could just be that um maybe she's getting a little dehydrated and so it's kind of given a little oh, okay so it was bladder. the it was the response Melinda that said it felt like she needed to pee but there was nothing there see that's that sounds like 
UTI to me. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you have to pee, I don't know. I mean, I guess if it's bugging her enough, she probably should just go to the doctor. Doctor, that, doctor, yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I have, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's <laughs> the doctor. Okay, here's one we can help with, or maybe not, but it's kind of another good one. I'm Heather. I won't say your last name, Heather. This is going to be a TMI <laughs> one. Is this crotch, sweat, or leakage? I'm not really sure. Any suggestions? I'm about to move into fall leggings season, and I'm so tired of wearing the same black leggings over and over. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only person with this problem. Please tell me <laughs> I'm not. Two people chimed in, Angie and Jessica. You're not. You're not alone. You're not alone. But yes, that whole like... You know, crotch sweat, it's mostly crotch. Well, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely unbecoming on um, anything that is not dark capris. Or I shouldn't say unbecoming. It's just noticeable, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I sweat yeah. down there. <laughs> you do? Oh, yeah. Gosh, I don't. I'm, you're, you're alone, Christine. No. <laughs> I mean, Ugh, I sweat. Just slowly move away from her, Dim. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I got, you know, a ring of sweat under my boobs, a ring of sweat, you know, down on yeah, my on your pants, and my butt yeah. crack. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, it, down my yeah. butt crack. It's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. Uh, yeah. I mean, the one, so, the one well, the one thing I will say that I mean is it there are a lot of patterned leggings now. That's patterned. That that's the solution right there. Patterned capris. You know? Yeah. Because then you're not really noticing. I mean, because like I, I, I've told this story way too many times. I won't tell it again, but I had a pair of kind of grayish leggings and they were just straight gray and like just a nice just a really nice triangle in an after race picture, right? Not 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 one I kept. <laughs> But if I had, you know, gray with like geometric triangles and flowers and blah, 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 like you wouldn't, yeah. especially stuff that like a bold pattern, like not little, mm-hmm. you know, tiny polka dots where you can still see the, the background fabric, but the pattern mm-hmm. is everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. Because I mean, I think about the the Saucony Bullet Capris this fall, and there are so many patterns. I was just on the site the other day, and I think they have something like, I don't know, they have at least eight different patterns. And you know, like you said, Dim, they're, you know, bold, they are a big pattern, so there's not really a background color, so to speak. Yeah. And so, you know, that sweat stain is just going to look like one more geometric <laughs> element to your crazy pants. And I mean, they are yes. so, I mean, leggy, crazy capris, you know, wildly patterned are just the thing. Yes. So I say, Heather, just to, to mix up that, you know, black legging, black legging, black legging, even one pair of pattern capris would just give you a... a emotional boost that one run that would then kind of carry you through a couple. Cause I just, um, I just love wearing a pattern bottom. That's just, (laughs) that's my thing. Camouflage, camouflage the, the, yeah. And it's just fun. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, it's dark, it's cold, it's rainy out there. You know, at least have some fun with, one element, you know, if you got to wear a, a a waterproof jacket or something, you know, wear some crazy pants. Mm-hmm. Crazy pants. That's what we had in the stride through the holidays last yeah, year. Yeah, I remember um, that. Yes, we had a lot of that going on. So that's fun. So, so tag us with your crazy pants, Heather. And um, gosh, I think we, we hit everything, right? Um, so thank you guys for sharing your Friday afternoon with us. And for you listeners, for sharing your run or your commute or your laundry time with us. We hope this, was, this has been helpful. Um, any last tips? Okay, one, one, one bit of race advice that you, you want to share. One bit of race advice. Go ahead, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Remember, hold on tight to your goal. Whatever your goal is, hold on tight to it. They can get really slippery on race day, but just 
pretend it's your child's hand near a crowded, busy street, and you got to hold on to that with with dear life. And you're going to be so pleased when you cross that finish line. Woohoo! What about you, Christine? Um, I'm going to say have some good mantras prepared for your race um, so that when the voices start creeping in telling you you can't do it or to slow down or like, you know, like you were just alluding to, you can't hold on to your goal, that you have some good positive mantras that you can repeat to yourself to get you back on track or Perfect. keep you on track. Um, and I will Jim? say um, wear less clothing than you think you need. I, mm-hmm. I often oh, find myself overlayered. Um, and so, you know, should be standing in your starting corral, feeling a little chilly, wanting to move. Mm-hmm. That's that's good impetus to move. The other thing is, especially if you're going to um, a big race where you're going to be sitting around for a long time and waiting for your time to race to come up, you know, um, go buy some dollar gloves at Target and, you know, get a cheap sweatshirt that you don't care about anymore, either wear something you don't care about anymore or grab something at Goodwill. And what they do is they come through and they sweep all the extra clothing and they um, use it for charities and stuff. So it's not like it goes to waste like Sarah's um, (coughs) water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, good luck with races, ladies. Good luck. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Take care. Bye.